Support for the Woj Pod comes from Metro by T-Mobile. Got to catch the game on the go? No worries, Metro has you covered. Switch to Metro and get coast-to-coast coverage on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Now you'll catch all the action almost anywhere you go. Plus, you'll save a ton over what you're paying with Verizon or the other big guy. Switch to Metro and get on a big network for way less. Coverage may vary, so please see the store for details. Now's the time to score big with Metro. Switch and get on a big network for way less. Metro by T-Mobile, that's genius. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here in Boston with two-time NBA MVP, three-time champion, Golden State Warrior, all-star, Steph Curry. Stay with us. Here with Steph Curry, two-time NBA MVP, three-time champion, and Davidson College alum. You know what's one week from tonight, don't you? You know who's playing one week from tonight. Who's that? Uh-oh. Bonnie's Davidson. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I haven't really gotten to the A-10 kind of back and forth in history since when I played at Davidson. We were in the Southern Conference. You know, I always thought that was – now, this is a limited audience out there. When Davidson went from the Southern Conference – to the Atlantic 10, I thought there would be a little hiccup. Mm. Like it would take a year or two for the, rec- and it didn't. You, like Bob, they won the, right in and won the league. They won the league the first year. It was unbelievable. Um, that's power of Coach McKillop. He's ready for any challenge, but, uh, the fact that he's able to build that program to what it is, sustain it now and change conferences, uh, with the level of recruit they're going after now, um, and a bit more, uh, on the national scene, mm-hmm. more TV. I see him on TV more than, my entire career put together. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. Atlantic 10's on a lot. In fact, they asked me, the reason I knew Bonnie's Davidson next week was some of our college basketball guys asked me, like, where are you going to be next Friday? And I knew what they were getting at. Like, right. would I maybe want to be around that? I said, listen, I would do anything to go sit like at a Bonnie's telecast. But I said, guys, it's like five days from the trade deadline. Yeah, like, I can't, true. I cannot go to the backwoods of Olean, New York. <laughs> but someday I do want to. You got to stay plugged I, in. I do want to do that. So you guys are coming up from D.C. today. I reported a little Curry family news. I saw that. Yeah. It wasn't news to you, I assume. It's been conversations, for sure. Seth Curry it being of the Portland Charlotte. Trailblazers will be in the three-point shooting contest in your hometown of Charlotte. So is that a domino here of family possibilities? I think so. Uh it's Just being in Charlotte, there's obviously a nice storyline. Seth himself is shooting the ball extremely well this year. I think he's leading the league in percentage uh, for a while. Him and Davis Bertans, I think it was. But in terms of just uh, the family history, my dad playing 10 years in Charlotte from 88 to 98, being one of the original Hornets to uh, now having the All-Star game in Charlotte. Uh, uh, thankfully, he'll be a starter, so I get to go back and, and represent team there three-point shootout would be would be fun with the curry brother so uh i know he's gonna be gunning for me though that's the problem if you gave dell just one rack now maybe it might be harder for him to do the whole circle he could do it but like if he said give him that corner three rack with the money ball could he do it could he beat you two i think he'd have a good shot at it. so i've had a couple of camps out in the bay area in the summer and part of the the All Star game, if you will, is we have a halftime three point shootout. And this past summer, we had like three of the campers go, uh, and then I went. And then uh, the energy in the arena was calling for Del Curry to make his <laughs> triumphant turn back into the competition. So he got out there, unofficial score 
without the the new like all money ball rack mm-hmm. i think he got like 16 so he still got it and yeah. we gave him like an extra 10 seconds just to get through because he <laughs> had to get his body loose right. but he can still shoot for sure we talked about you just being in dc and i think people saw there, there were like for a two-day trip there were kind of some moments that people saw obviously you had a great game you beat the wizards I think people saw that you popped in, saw President Obama, and that great moment you had with that young man on the sidelines in the pregame, which was pretty neat. But your new production company, Unanimous Media, you're the executive producer on a movie that was screened in D.C. at Howard University. It's called Emmanuel, and it's about the 2015 mass shooting at the Episcopal Church in Charleston, mm-hmm. uh, Emmanuel. African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, that killed nine African Americans. And I want to read to you, your mom, Sonia, was there, mm-hmm. and she talked to uh, Mark Wright at the Undefeated. Oh, I didn't see this. After that. And she said, right in the middle of the screening, I texted Dell and was like, I think this is one of the top proudest moments as a mom for me. And then I texted Aisha the same thing. I've cried the whole night. For one, from the movie itself, and two, it just really, really blows me away. And she went on to say, like, she's used to seeing you on the court doing things, and not that it ever becomes routine, but she's Mm -hmm. seen you do that, but seeing you in that element and talking about the film and why you wanted to be a part of it and then seeing the film and how powerful it was. Mm -hmm. Had she shared that with you after? No. She We had a moment after uh, in the green room uh, at Howard University where we screened the movie. And, uh, it's a heavy movie. It's, it's one that definitely pulls on your emotions and makes you angry, uncomfortable, gives you hope. There's the message of forgiveness and love throughout how the families responded to Dylan Roof, who, uh, obviously took, you know, some of their family members away from them. There's so many great themes in the movie that when we had that moment, it was just more so I thanked her for being there. And like you said, these are moments that basketball comes and goes and games come and go. And, and we've had a lot of success on the court. But God's given me an ability to use that as a, a platform for other things that truly help people. And through the different kind of projects that I get to be a part of, like uh, Emmanuel and another movie we're doing called Breakthrough. Uh, it's all about taking things that are important to me, the things that my parents you know, instilled in me and my siblings growing up about what's important as a human being um, and amplifying those messages uh, to the world. And so I think life goes so fast and things, you know, happen. Uh, but in terms of her just being there you know, to see uh, exactly how important, you know, this this movie can be um, was, was special. You have an executive producer title on Emmanuel. What does that entail for you to be executive producer? What what role did you play? in the film uh well it's about myself and uh the two guys that, that i work with uh at unanimous who uh are on the sony lot pretty much every day we connected with brian ivy who's the director of the film um at an early stage while they were still putting the final pieces together of how they wanted the, the movie to come to life and so for us it's it's about how we finish the movie how how it kind of you know certain messages that we want to make sure are protected throughout the film and then how we amplify it. And so it's a really strategic way of how we can make sure that this gets in front of the right people, that the family's messages from, you know, Charleston, South Carolina are heard, you know, as loud as they can. And so, uh, using, you know, my resources, network and things like that to, uh, 
to you know bring that to life is something that's important for me and it'll continue to grow with other projects that we do going forward but um this is so cool to, for me to think I have a day job and this is something you know, obviously I put the ball in the basket and that's what I love to do but outside of that there's uh ways to continue to inspire the idea behind a production company and to take on all that it entails and I know sometimes people think well movies just make money and if you start a production company it's another way to drive revenue and make money it's not, it's not that easy and they don't all make money and it's a financial yeah. risk you've got to invest why why that area why go in that area your point is actually absolutely correct um and a lot of what we want to do is purpose over profit and so mm-hmm. for us to that not to be the driving force we're not it's not about making a dollar it's about really being passionate about the things that you get behind um being able to be strategic about those pillars that are important to me, faith, family, and sports, and making sure that those messages are, are a part of everything that we do. So I've always been in the business and, and have had so many cool interactions with people and fans that are inspired by the, my story and the way that I play on the court and the joy that I play with. This is just another outlet for us to be able to do that. And so I have an amazing team that I work with, and I we're only in our first year. And so to think what we've been able to accomplish so far has been amazing. This is a long-term play that I want to be a part of for a long time. Had you watched the film with others around who hadn't seen it? So when you're watching it at Howard and you're seeing others react to it for the first time, what was that like? It's impactful because you get people from all backgrounds and who may have heard of the story, kind of plugged in, chimed in a little bit, you know, in 2015 when it happened, seeing uh some of the reactions from the, uh, how crazy uh, the national reaction was to the story uh president obama uh doing the eulogy for the victims uh, and their families uh, in charleston uh, there were so many kind of bright spots that, that turned a tragedy into into hope and into an inspirational story and when you get into a setting like that it's mostly just the raw emotions that come out and you see tears you see like angry faces you see smiles you see laughter you see you know so many different reactions to it and i think for us it's all about again making people think uh, and continuing dialogue around racial injustice uh, gun violence themes around forgiveness that don't come naturally to most people Uh, those things are important so we got all of that at howard i think the conversation was really productive you know to think that that tragedy was only less than four years ago Mm -hmm. and i think part of is we have so many of them now and they just keep coming and it isn't that you don't there's another one and there's another one and there's another one and they sort of go into the rearview mirror pretty quick and and i think right part of this is you're stopping and here's what's left in the wake Mm -hmm. of this right and Mm -hmm. that's part of it because we've had they just keep coming in this country. We allow them to just keep coming. 100%. I made a comment during our, our panel afterwards that when I first heard July 17, 2015, when I first heard that there was another shooting, it was almost like you're numb to it. You get the breaking news alert on you know, on your social media or on TV, and it's like, oh, kind of who, what, where. Uh, but you have to remind yourself that we all have an opportunity to impact change, and we want things to just – nothing's going to be perfect. Um, but we want things to be better and continue to get better and continue to get better. And I think that's what these opportunities to tell these people's story are, are about. Because like you said, it was uh, before years ago in July, 
I think you talk about how many incidents have happened since then, uh, but the dialogue is continuing. And so that's all we can do, to be honest. And whatever walk of life you are, that's all you can do is help uh, in any way you can kind of make an impact and keep people you know, talking about the things that they need to change. Steph, maybe the most unconventional request I think I've ever gotten in almost anything I've done in this business you're, I'm not sure you're a fan of the Woj Pod. I listen to the Woj Pod. But you're I'm a fan not of the read. That. You're a fan of the Woj Pod ad reads. I am. It's. It is. I know it's a tough transition, and you got to pay the bills. So I wanted to come and give it my best shot at, All right. at doing All right. at doing your job for a half a second. Yep. So on behalf of the Woj Pod, we're going to shout out ZipRecruiter. This episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Job boards that send you mile high stack of resumes to sort through. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj to hire the right person. You might be able to use ZipRecruiter, maybe not at the trade deadline, but buyout market, right? That's right. That's right. Buyout market, you may have a I'm, need to fill. I'm looking for, yeah, a nice uh, we, we need a role wing, to fill. We need a Give you all the criteria and they, they knock it out the park, right? That'd be how you would do it. <laughs> I mean, because unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's a powerful matching technology that scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. It doesn't get much better than that. You're exactly right, Steph. And now my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, W-O-J. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, W-O-J. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. On the 11th, you move into third all-time, made three-pointers. You're trailing now Reggie Miller. Ray Allen. And when you did it that night, and I was thinking about you and Ray and, you know, I covered Ray at UConn and I was there, uh, his freshman, sophomore years covering him. Mm -hmm. And what I remember about Ray, and I would think about this later in his career, he was a freshman and, and came in. And, and so like you'd, we'd write our stories on like the pressure room in their campus gym and you'd spend a few hours and you'd write and send in. And I always remember leaving a couple hours after practice. And I can't tell you how many nights, like you know, the rest of the team was gone and and I would see Ray in the gym as I'm walking through and Ray's back there at night just doing form shooting. Mm -hmm. So he was 18 years old and he was just doing form shooting. And I remember late in his career in Boston, I think it was 38. So it was probably literally 20 years later. And like I get to right down the street, I get to the new garden down the street and there's Ray at four in the afternoon before anybody else is I remember, there. I remember seeing those clips. Yeah. Form shooting. Yeah. And it's like 20 years in between and. It's the same routine and it's the same fundamental and it's the same. And, and what always amazes me with like you and, and guys who do it at that level and do it for that long and do it that well, does the process ever wear you down? Does the constant day after day, the repetition of what you know you have to go through to do it, is that what wears you down or is it everything else around it that wears you down? That's my happy place, to be honest. 
just case in point, like today we have an opportunity to go, we have practice, but we didn't really do anything as a team. It's kind of, we call it get what you need type of day where everybody comes in. If you need to lift, if you need to get treatment, you need to get shots up, you take advantage of that time and, and do what you need to do. I know I've been shooting the ball well all year and I've had a, a really good start to the season. And um, like you said, moved up to three point ranks and all that stuff. I always feel like I can get better. And so I get wrapped up in those moments where there's 45 minutes, 30 minutes, two hours um, getting shots up. I get wrapped up in, in like the pursuit of perfection, mm-hmm. if you will. And it sounds cliche, but it literally is like falling in love with the process. And those, those are the, my happy times. Obviously your body might be hurting and you feel like you might, oh, I really want to do it today, but that, thing that makes Reggie great, Ray Allen great, myself in terms of that pursuit is we always feel like we can get better. Um and to in order to sharpen your skill set and to keep moving in the right direction, those uh diligent hours are are fun, I think, and that's why we are who we are. JJ Reddick had Steve Nash on his pod a couple of years ago on his podcast and they were talking Steve was retired at that time. And they were talking about the shooting and I think JJ essentially asked Steve do you miss it? Do you miss the work? And I think essentially what Steve told him was, I don't, I don't ever pick up a ball and shoot anymore. Like I might be at the playground and the ball rolls over to me. And JJ said something interesting that he thinks when he's retired and done, he won't ever imagine picking up a ball and just going to shoot that in his mind, that act is so ingrained in work and hours that he just feels like he just walk away from it. Does that make sense to you? It does. I think it's all about the context of what you're working towards. Yeah. We love the game. We love to shoot. Uh, but there's a purpose to it and there's a, a level like expectation that, that you put on yourself that you want to kind of, you know, work towards every day. It's hard for me to put myself in that mindset of like, if I'm not going to practice or not, you know, suiting up for an NBA game, regular season playoff, whatever, well, well me going to the gym, have that same fire or that same kind of perspective but um yeah I know in terms of just me being a shooter me trying to reach my full potential whatever that is that you get locked up in the moment and nothing else really matters I just love you know when I have a basketball in my hand I'm being creative trying to find new drills or new things to kind of work on and the people around me kind of and nudging me along a little bit too coaches and teammates and stuff like that that atmosphere is is uh, is fun. When it's gone, I don't know what type of impact shooting will have on me for sure. Where's the craziest place you were traveling and you were somewhere and gym wasn't readily available? Like I want to shoot, I want to get shots up. There's not. Where's the craziest place you found yourself? I'm going to get shots up, whether it was traveling or anywhere. That's a great question. Uh, probably in Lake Tahoe. I was up there after my my rookie year. There's the American Century Celebrity Golf yeah. Tournament up there that I love to play in every summer. But it happened to be like a week before Team USA tryouts for the 2010 World Championships. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm out here playing golf. I'm having fun. I'm trying to win this golf tournament. But I know in the back of my head next week I got to go to Vegas for um, Team right. USA training camp. So I called my agent and said, hey, is there a gym somewhere in, in these mountains that you can find that uh that I can get some shots up in between my rounds? And so he's calling around. He's like, I can't find anything. So we literally just drive uh, up to this little rec center situation that had like a three-quarter court with 
I bet they were like 15 foot ceilings. Right. And, uh, and we're in there, me, and my dad, my agent, they're rebounding for me. I spent probably three days in there, uh, like an hour just getting <laughs> shots up, running sprints, making sure I was in shape. And then I would go play golf at the tournament. So if I had a picture of that gym, you'd probably laugh and think like, what is this NBA dude doing in this gym, uh, in the middle of the Lake Tahoe mountains, uh, working on his game? Do you ever drive by in the city, like whether you're in Oakland or, drive by pickup games and go, you know what? I would love to go out and shoot with those guys. Now, if I do it, it's going to create chaos. I can't. Every time. <laughs> but whoever I'm driving with, they always tell me don't do it. <laughs> but if it's up to me, I probably, yeah, I, I would more more than I have right now. But it is like, that's like the, that's where we all started to play the game. So you never really get too far removed from that. But I've talked about this with a lot of guys and coaches talk about this a lot. Like, Guys played lots of pickup and playgrounds and like you learned like etiquette. You learned like how to play with older guys. You learn to keep your mouth shut because you might get your ass kicked little by older guys when you're younger. You learn like if you lose, you're going to have to sit for a long time and you could be creative and try things on the playground. And then the game became travel basketball, gyms. We got three games today, whether you win or lose. And then Bob Hurley Sr. made a great point to me. I spent a year with him doing a book, and and he said what happens is he talked about when he had point guards who grew up in the city, including his son, Bobby, and he had you know Kenny Wilson, David Rivers, that you could be creative and try things and make mistakes, but when they're keeping a score and you're in the gym, you just play to your strengths because you're supposed to win this game, and you lose that. And do you see that in the game that it's – like instead of in the city, guy, everyone's just out in the suburb taking a van out, you know, playing travel hoops. That something's been lost. It's a different generation for sure. I think everybody asked me about kind of my journey when I was between eight and sixteen, say, and um, kind of did I play those those AAU leagues? You know, what did I do with my if I wasn't playing for the school team or whatever? Like just to work on my game and all that, and and thinking like how different it is. I was what. 15 years ago yeah exactly to now um just how many things are pulling at these kids now in terms of one distractions from the game but two just in within you know the the basketball arena uh, how many different avenues they could take to try to reach their you know goal of making it to the league or making it to d1 college or whatnot (laughs) honestly i'm not as well versed in and i'm I'm sure i will be now i got kids coming up but in terms of just like as long as people are playing basketball, working on their skills, surround themselves with the right people, like I feel like the game is in good hands. But it is I, – I can't imagine how hard it is right now for these kids coming up to maintain the purity of the game, to maintain, like you said, the natural progression of like – there's stuff that you got to learn to, you know, that can make or break you once you get, you know, into the – the truly competitive recruiting situation and even college and on like stuff that you learn really young, uh, set you in the right direction. So it's, it's tough. I'm sure. Do you feel like you have a handle or does it really interest you about the impact you've had on a generation of players and your ability, how you play the game and the way you've transformed it and the way you've expanded people's imagination Mm -hmm. about how you can play the game and then you see it start to come where kids start to emulate you. Do you hear it a lot from people, the impact? Do you, are you able to see it anywhere? In the last two years, I've heard it a lot. It's kind of a consistent thing on a daily, to be honest. Uh, 
whether some reading a mention on social media or something, uh, somebody tagging me in a video saying, oh, listen, next Steph Curry. Or I think the funniest one was there was a, a high school clip last year of this team that would shot, I think, literally 12 threes in one possession. They just kept getting offensive rebounds and kicking it out and just shooting threes, and they missed them all. And somebody tagged me in the video. like, see, you ruined the game. Um, this is all your fault, yada, yada. So I take it as flattery in terms of there are so many people that have watched me play for now for 10 years in the league and even in college that um, want to emulate what I do. The fact that I'm not a high flyer and, and uh, shooting is my strength. Everybody in, who plays basketball in any walk of life can shoot. They should be able, to, you know, to shoot in some way, shape, or form. And so it's, it's more approachable and more relatable of a skill set and something I think people marvel at and want to work on. And that's something for me that I, I preach every day. Like I want people to stretch imaginations and stretch their range and. And I think they, you know, that they can shoot like me, uh, but it, it comes with a lot of work. And like we talked about how many, how many hours I put in since I started playing when I was, you know, five, six years old. And just the perspective that I have and the, the discipline uh, every day to, to, to work on, it didn't happen overnight. To be honest, the range that I shoot with now really didn't start till second, third year in the league. And so it, it takes a while and the process has to happen. Did it take some courage for you? to start moving back when you started to take deeper and deeper shots, did it just feel like a natural extension of your game or was it a conscious I'm shooting these at a high level practice. Why am I not trying these in a game? What came first? It was just a natural kind of progression. I think, uh, like you said, I was shooting a high percentage the first two years and I started to get better off the dribble and feeling more confident with my handle and understanding that in this league, I wasn't necessarily blowing by people. I had to, really use my change of speed and direction and ball handling to, to create that space that I needed to get shots up. Um, but my confidence was always there. And so I knew there was a little bit of riskiness if I was jacking it up from 25 plus and shooting like 20% from it, it would look really bad. <laughs> um, but in terms of just, yeah, taking some chances, stretching my imagination a little bit, it was a really good feeling once I started to become a consistent part of my game and, and, and catching people off guard because they hadn't really seen it before. Steph, do you think there's a correlation between your personal life, you know, from family, your faith? There's a calmness to you. A lot of guys thrive, and I don't think it's just in basketball, but in life, they thrive on crisis and turmoil. There's a lot of guys in the league who thrive on it, like to have it around them, do better in it. That for you, the things that sort of ground you off the floor – to shoot and to play the way you play takes such a tremendous level of concentration to make shots from distance, off balance, with very little space. I mean, so much right is predicated on just an intense concentration on the task. Is there a correlation? Uh, I'll shout out my, my GM, Bob Myers. He always talks to me about uh, the thing that makes me great on the court from his perspective is one of the things that I – from a leadership perspective and like an overall like awareness of what's going on around me uh, is something that I need to work on. And he mentioned that in terms of like, like you said, I have this ability to really just stay in the moment and just appreciate what's going on right here and now and not really worry about anything else. And I think that part of it and my faith knowing that I'm here for a reason and that has been as permeates the, literally anything that I've, I've done in my life. It gives me peace and joy out there. So it helps you deal with the failures because there's been plenty of them. And it helps you stay grounded when things are going really well. 
Um, and for me, that helps me be as consistent as possible and not have those crazy emotional mood swings and stuff like that, which for me, just every time I step foot on the floor, I feel like good things are going to happen, but I can stay locked in in the moment and just enjoy what I'm doing. Um, and so that, that's been big for me. Support for the Woj Pod comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Woj, W-O-J, to get 10% off. You mentioned the awareness of what's going on around you. And I think this is probably true for you and Clay. Because you grew up in the NBA, you grew up around it. You saw it all. And things that other people might react, there's a certain like insanity day to day that people don't see that you just go, it's really not that important. I've seen it. It doesn't impact. You don't react to it. Maybe the way somebody who's just walking into it, never been around it in their life. And I thought at the time when you guys went through this year with Kevin and Draymond and that situation came, that your reaction and maybe even Clay's, which was that stuff, there's other things that go on that we never hear about and teams deal with them. Every team deals with them, moves on. But what does get your attention is if something gets in the way of winning, if there's something that's messing with winning, that gets your attention. Is that how you handle that situation? Yeah, I think so. Um, like you said, our, me and Clay's background, having dads have been in the league and being around this way of life, if you will, it helped us when we got to the league and helped us till we got there. But in terms of just understanding how fast things move, the fanfare, the media attention, like how people are pulled in a bunch of different directions, the things that can derail a team from being truly great, uh, year after year, you know, how players' lives off the court can affect what they're doing on the court and how you kind of have to balance and be aware of those type of things. Uh, all that plays a part as a leader, if you will, and and the way we had handled this situation, um, you know, Draymond and, and KD are grown men that understand, you know, they're going to go through some stuff and they're going to be better for it down the road. Um, but it was it was a tough situation, and for us to, like you said, not let something that happens in November ruin what's going to happen in April, May, and June because we have a uh, a higher calling on our team, I think. And that, that was something that, uh, we had to work through as a team. And I think we've done a great job of, of handling that and focusing on basketball and bringing the best out of each other. And that's what we're, that's what the mission we're on right now. At the time when it happened, what did you think your responsibility was in that? I think just the level set in terms of we know each other. We've, we've been through a lot. We have a lot of equity as a team and it was not expected to go through something, uh, having been, you know, in this, in this fight for five plus years and, and whatnot. But in terms of myself kind of plugging in, trying to get real conversations happening, get everything on the table. Like we're not a perfect team. We, we all have issues. We all have kind of baggage that we bring, but we all need to be aware of it. And the best thing for us to move forward is if everybody puts it on the table, whether you think it's going to hurt somebody's feelings or you think they're not going to like what they hear, 
who cares? Like mm-hmm. put it on the table. Let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Let's move on. And, and to be honest, Coach Kerr has been amazing with that. Draymond has been amazing with that. KD has, um, Andre, Sean, Clay, like all the guys that again have been in this fight for so long. It took a collective effort and a willingness from everybody to participate in that. And I think we've done a good job of that. And so I think for us, again, something that happens in November can't derail, you know, our championship potential. Was there any moment that night, the next day, the day after where you went, geez, this, <laughs> this might be a problem. This, this is like, <laughs> this is something that I'm not sure how this may end up. This could go one of a couple ways. What, what, what did you think in the immediate aftermath? Well, from, I mean, just, I won't harp on it too much, but in terms of like my, I wasn't there and yep. when it happened. And so right. I was in a real awkward position just cause you're getting everything secondhand and, right. and whatnot. Um, and so from my standpoint, I was just trying to get caught up to speed on what the situation was yep. and making sure that we we're hopefully kind of moving to what, how we could kind of repair. But, and I think for us, you can't really predict something like that would happen. And you knew, like, again, five years going, three with KD and, you know, around and, and, and being plugged into our team. It's one of those things where it's just, it's like, wow, but like we, no, we got, there's a solve for this. There's something that we can do to move forward. And so that was the goal. Is Steve's perspective when you start getting, there's very few people who can understand what it means to try to win three in a row, to try to win multiple for the thing to keep going. Steve lived it. He lived it with the Bulls. And are there times where you sense like his perspective on it is pretty helpful to your group because you're in a place now where there's not many people you can go to and say, well, what's it like? Because very few know. Well, that's for sure. His perspective is very unique. Like I said, there's not many teams that we can compare ourselves to or who have had the ability to kind of play for what we're playing for year after year. He always brings up the Bulls third year, that second three-peat, and how much turmoil that was. And obviously for was it 97, 98 to compare what the NBA life was like and how social media and all that stuff has played a part into what 2018, 2019. Rodman on Twitter. Exactly. That's right. He, yeah. By the way, I see him on all of my Instagram likes. I don't know what he's got going on. <laughs> but Dennis, you got to explain that one to me. Anyway. <laughs> Like he talks about like how much pressure there is on our team with all the eyeballs and the microscope and the attention and people writing, you know, story after story about us versus what they used what they went through, which was as serious, but they could kind of keep most stuff under wraps and deal with it, you know, internally. So I think it's been great for us to hear those kind of stories. We obviously have to deal with what we have to deal with, but for him to have a perspective of how how tough it is to do what we're trying to do you know, managing all sorts of different personalities and kind of staying focused on, on getting that trophy. Like, uh, I think that that's a big help. When you lost in 16 and you went to meet Kevin in free agency, a lot of guys can talk about winning is the most important thing to me. I don't care about anything but winning. And then when you really keep listening, you go, actually, it's like fifth on your list. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, winning's fifth or sixth, but if everything else is perfect, I care mostly about winning. You showed it. You showed it by leading the group in there and bringing him on. Was there anybody who said to you, don't give up what you're giving? You're giving up something here. Was there anybody in your life who said, that's a mistake for you? Uh, Yeah, yeah people that, that I didn't value their right. opinion. But yeah, right. uh, There's definitely uh, a lot of noise around that, especially with how – 
crazy that two-year run had been winning the championship, 73 wins, game seven of the finals, a couple of injuries, yada, yada, yada. We lose game seven. And, like, you're kind of broken at that point, like getting so close to winning again, you don't get it done. And then it'll, two weeks later, free agency situation. And I knew going into that conversation and, and whatnot, it was about Katie as a person and, and – and having a history with him, you know, playing Team USA stuff and just knowing who he is, that he would fit. And there is no questions about that. And so I could really buy into the vision of what it would be like to have him on our, our team, what he could do to help us be better. And the funny part is, uh, I talk with Coach Kerr all the time. We had conversations when he, uh, when Katie called and said, Hey, let's, let's do this. I'm going to be a warrior. There's always conversation around like the shot distribution and like who would have to sacrifice the most, me, Clay, Draymond, Andre with, with Katie on the, on the squad. And to be honest, that first year playing together, it was me in terms of just how I was used to getting shots, how I was used to playing and whatnot. It was a little different. So I had to make you know, certain adjustments. And then there were times where it was, it was difficult with Christmas day game in Cleveland. I remember vividly, um, Leaving there thinking, all right, I got to figure this out. And I know that I can't figure this out. It's just not as easy. It's not as smooth of a transition as I might have thought it was going to be. Um, and so those kind of uncomfortable moments, they test you and make you better. I didn't know going into it I'd have to kind of go through that process. But um, 2020 hindsight looking at it has made me a better player um, and better leader in terms of I was at the highest of the high, got knocked down, had to figure out a new way to get back up there with the new you know, situation and dynamic, and we were able to do it. You felt that way in the first year. Do you think there was a window there where then maybe Clay, it became in another season, Clay all of a sudden felt like he was sacrificed? Or have you felt that's been pretty consistent for you throughout? Pretty consistent. I mean, Clay is – He's so unique. He's so so low maintenance. Like I know he ha- he has emotion and feelings and stuff like that, but he just has this like this way of just being himself no matter what's going on and and he's the ultimate team guy in terms of he knows he's important to what we do. He knows he's impactful and he's without him we probably don't win, you know, championships and so I think he's been the perfect person in that you know spot of you never know. He can score 37 in a quarter or 60 in three quarters, break all these three point records or whatnot and get his attention, but he doesn't, he doesn't seek it. And he, he just loves playing basketball with a great group of guys. And he lo- talk about a guy who really has winning at the top of his list. That's, that's a guy. And yet you go through a year, you don't, I don't think there was once where you ever expressed that publicly. And it's easy after a game when you're emotional and you get asked it. If you say that one time during that season, or especially early on, you create a firestorm that, like, you know, first take Stephen A's talking about that for three hours a day. We all, right? That probably takes more discipline than people would think because you're in a lot of moments where it's pretty raw and you got to bite your lip, right? Yeah. Especially after a game. Yeah, that's a, uh, I remember that interview right after the Christmas Day game where I had to make sure it wasn't about me because it wasn't. It was about, how I fit into this new situation and how I'm going to help figure it out um, and not be a detriment to what we're trying to do and make a decision, obviously, in your, in your head that that's how you're going to handle yourself, how you're going to handle things and make sure you live that out. So definitely, uh, I guess I could see myself as a situation where you're 
pounding the table saying, hey, we got to figure this out for me or what about me, yada, yada, yada. That's not what I'm in the game for. So it's, it's kind of who I am. Did Kevin seem to you aware of it, sensitive to it? Could you guys sit and go through and talk it through or was that a, a Steve conversation for you? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, um, me and Kay's relationship in terms of how it, you know, started and beginning of 2016 to now has just only grown and gotten stronger. And we, we really feed off each other now in terms of our energy and what we see on the floor and that back and forth. It wasn't that clean at the beginning, but we knew that what we both do on the court can complement each other so well. So that was a good starting point. And I think we're both not the most talkative people in terms of, you know, kind of our style on a daily day. But as we've gone through this, this journey, um, we understand that we, we make each other great and we bring the best out of each other. And we have to have a purpose about that every night. And I think that's, that's what's the message that's been, uh, kind of hammered.